I think that you have to go through this period of it's going to feel a little bit lonely, but when you start to stack up those successes of I'm doing something and they're just, they're, there's just sort of that deep satisfaction of this is where I was meant to be. It's, it can be a fleeting, a fleeting feeling, but as soon as you feel it a couple of times, you start to chase that idea of just that peace and that calmness around. Welcome to another episode of the Limitless Life Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Smith. And if you have not done so, hit that subscribe button so that you never miss another podcast. And if you love this podcast and you want some more tips and tricks on how to improve yourself, go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel. There are a ton of instructional videos there. You can find the links down below. However, before you go ahead and do that, I would love for you to stick around to listen to my friend, Josh Kelly. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on, my man. My pleasure, my friend. So, Josh, my dude, the question that I like to start or to kick off the podcast with is a pretty simple one and a pretty deep one. We go real, we go right off, right off the cliff, you know? As and you should, as you should. Yeah. And the question is, how is it, Josh, that you impact the lives of the people around you? I think um, I think the simplest way that I can put this is uh, I've always liked the phrase I I'm gonna butcher who it's by I couldn't remember but it's the phrase you become the adult you needed as a child and um, what I think about is you know my old man and just through various interactions that I've had he's always instilled with me that you want to have positive interactions and every time that I step into an interaction with another human being whether it's going to be just someone at a coffee shop or whether it's going to be someone that I'm interacting with through, through work or anything like that. My goal is always to make someone feel seen. And especially the more time that I spend around them, I want them to feel like they've encountered someone who wants to put in the effort to understand them. And I think there's a certain gift that you would, I guarantee understand about being able to go deep with people and understanding what that gives them and also what that gives you. And that's how I've always that's how I'd like to interact with people. I want to constantly make them feel seen and I want to make them feel understood in a way they maybe never have been before so that they leave that interaction knowing that someone gives a shit about them, frankly. And I, I think, I think it makes a big difference. I think it leads to, you know, maybe it leads to positive things, but if nothing else, it's always good karma. That is true. That is true. And how have you found that, and you can dive into uh, what is it you do, but how do you found, how have you found that to impact your clients specifically? You know, one of the things that I've thought about over the past probably year and a half, two years is really diving into who it is that I actually want to be. I think especially around probably 24, 25, I realized I didn't have much of an identity and I spent most of my late twenties trying to build that identity just through experience and trying out a bunch of different things and putting myself in these, in, myself in these very uncomfortable situations. And right in my early thirties, I feel like I really came into it. And I feel like, especially when you're an entrepreneur, especially when you own, own your own business, because I own a fitness coaching company and I deal with clients every single day. And I don't think that you can, in that sort of space, hide who you are. I think the more you let your personality your way of doing things, your brand bleed into how it is that you do your work. I think realistically, you just lean further on into yourself. And I found that with, with a lot of my clients, you end up getting to have a lot deeper conversations with them because of that. I don't, I'm not a big fan of small talk. And I personally really like to ask people why they do things the way that they do. 
I mean, it's never a judgment. It's always just a case of, you know, you make your sandwich, you cut it diagonally rather than cutting horizontally. Why is that? And, you know, they, they might go into a story about how their grandmother used to do it when they would go on Sundays to hang out and have tea with her. And it just, it gives them a nice sense of home. But I find that when people are really honest about the reason that they do things and when they're self-aware enough to the point that they can give you that answer, you end up creating this really beautiful connection of finding out something that matters to them. And from my perspective, I can take a lot of that knowledge and I can use it to be a better coach to them, have, foster a better relationship, foster more trust. If I'm suddenly recognizing that you've softened with the way that you've told me that, it means your grandmother obviously holds a very special place in your heart. And it probably means that you had an above average relationship than maybe I would have had with a different one of my relatives. And so I want to know about that because it's going to tell me more about you. I think the experiences that we go through and especially the way we describe them and the things that we've taken away from them really define who it is that we actually are as a person because it controls what aspects of that of that situation, of that experience we remember most. Mm. I got an interesting question. Uh, to what degree... Yeah. To what degree does the past influence the person you are today compared to the decisions you make today? Past has given me a lot of emotional range and a lot of self-awareness. I think that when you, when you operate on the fringes of whatever your emotional range looks like, there's a, there's a TED talk by Ethan Hawke that I reference quite often because he talks about the idea that poetry and music and all of these things don't really seem necessary until you go through something that's either so bad or so good that you need to know that someone else has experienced that level with you. They've been there. And I think that the past for me has always, it's led me to the place that I am today. And I think, especially with my past, I think a lot of it is quite happy, but I also think that it has a lot of trauma in it, a lot of sadness and a lot of things like that. And while I'm never going to say that I wanted those things to happen, I think that I took what I could from them. And I think that I looked at them as now I look at them as an experience to grow. You know, if you've ever met somebody that's never really been through anything, and I use that carefully because it's a frame of reference. But when you look at people that have comparatively different life circumstances or life experiences, you end up seeing different people out of that because they've just seen different sides of themselves. And I always talk about it as I've had to confront a lot of the worst parts of myself and a lot of the things that I really originally didn't like or deal with all of these things. And I think it's made me a much better person. And I think it's made me a much more aware person. And I think it leads me to have compassion. Now, when it comes to the decisions that I make today, the decisions that I make today are based off how far I think that person can go and what it is that I think that they're capable of. And so I can take all of that trauma, I can take all of that sadness, I can take all of these terrible things that have happened to me. And I could remind myself that I can use them and I can use that emotional range that I've developed. I can use that ability to read people and I can make other lives better. And I have the opportunity to explore how far it is that I can take that. Uh, I think it's a, a Chris Williamson quote where he talks about, sometimes you just walk through doors because they're open. You don't really know where they go. And I think that's something that I've really tried to embrace in the in the past six months to a year is just, you know what, you have no idea what an opportunity looks like. But if some part of you says that you want to do it, go ahead and do it. And I mean, a perfect example of that was uh, I remember a good a good buddy of mine did stand up about a about a year, year and a half ago. 
And I just remember this singular thought as soon as he said it of that sounds cool. And at the time I was not in a place where I want, where I would or could have done it. But um, after, you know, exiting a really, really dark period of my life, I had this opportunity where I just said, you know what, we got to go for it. And so being the person that I am, I treated it like any other project, went to a couple of experts that I knew in that field, asked them some questions, and I got some really, really good advice. Uh, and, you know, one of the funniest pieces that I remember hearing was uh, one of my buddies who looked at me and he says, look, I'm going to level with you. You're a little bit put, too put together in the face to be good at comedy. He's like, comedians, they they sometimes just look like different people and they play off that. And, um, you know, one of uh, one of my good buddies who who's also a comedian and helped me with a lot with this, he's this really, really muscular ginger dude with a lazy eye. And he, I've never seen someone more confident and someone who leans into that more than he does. And so as soon as I got up on stage, I made a joke about how, you know, my first time at comedy was going to be very much my, very much like when I lost my virginity. And immediately what I'm doing is I'm just taking myself off whatever pedestal that someone's going to put me on in that moment. And I'm like, nah, man, I am right here with you. I've done the same dumb shit that you have. And we're just going to all laugh about it together because what other options do you have? Mm -hmm. And but I think it's moments like that, that when you step into something that you don't know what it's going to be like and you know it's going to be uncomfortable, but maybe there's something you can gain from it. Maybe there isn't. But it's just that idea that I want to see what happens. And if it's low enough investment, we can take it on. Like even for you, what's 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 an experience you've had where you had no idea where it was going to end and it ended somewhere incredible? Because I know you've had one like that. For myself? Uh, I think for most most times I found myself I observe opportunities and I'm okay with I'm very much so inspired by the uh, Taoist philosophy of Wu Wei where you're just flowing with the current of life and in that we can try to torture ourselves into swimming against the current we can hold on to a rock for dear life because we don't want to go uh, oftentimes we find ourselves on a shoreline that is a little bit of fun and we spend a little bit too much time there when we could be going along the current again uh, but i find that looking back a lot of the things i've experienced are just a sequence of events that just kind of made sense but i think i've been decent at following my intuition and being able to toss what I what I taking taking away my sense of self in order to flow with the current of where my intuition is pulling me towards rather than resisting it. It that's probably the part where the that's probably the part. Yeah. It would be removing that resistant sense of self where I'm trying to defend a person that I think myself to be in order to expand and grow into the person that I could be. Because the only, in my mind, the only difference between getting to where we want to go and staying where we are is just a series of decisions because our present self is our past's future while our present self is also our future's past. So I just have that kind of like a timeline kind of thing. So I don't know if I really answered your question on that one, but that would be my thoughts on it. It would be, it would be removing that, removing that resistance to 
what I believe to be an anchor and just having energy neutrality and flowing within the middle of dualities rather than those huge spikes. So if someone's, if I'm too excited, then I'm going to fail. If I'm too down, mm-hmm. then I'm going to fail. It's like people talk about chronic anxiety, but what about chronic gratitude? What about chronic happiness? That's also, that comes with its own like issues as well, because that could indicate that an individual is living in a delusion, but anxiety could also be living in delusion too. But if you're in the neutral, then you can see both. You can see the truth rather than the perceptions. You can see the perspective rather than the perceptions of what you're seeing. You're not looking for things. You're seeing things as they are. And so, well, and it's, I think it's somewhere between being a realist and being an optimist. It's, it's the idea that things could be good, but I think, um, I think it's the idea that if I'm, if I'm tagging onto what you're thinking of, it's the idea that you're, you're accepting of what things are and you're letting them play out as they, as they will, knowing that in some way, if you continue to push forward in the directions that you want to go and lean more into who you are, it's going to make sense as time goes on, as time, you know, puts it together. It's just, it's all going to flow exactly as it should. Absolutely. And I think, I think that in between, I think that the, the, the art or the act that has that embodiment of, because I don't think, I don't think realism is opposite to optimism because there's optimism and pessimism, but you Mm -hmm. can have realism, but you can be an optimistic realist, but you can also have a pessimistic realism, but the only difference between the two would be the filters that someone views the world through. However, I think in my idea, at least the, and this was one that I got from Chris Williamson, but the, the line or the, the duality of, I think enthusiasm I think the art of enthusiasm, the act of enthusiasm, enthusiasm is a state of being. It's not a feeling. You don't have to feel enthusiastic about something, even if it's a negative situation, because you can have a negative circumstance, but you can be enthusiastic that it's not going to last forever because it won't. I think when I think there's even something to be said there of kind of playing in a terrible situation. And I mean, this this may just be based off of my own experience and it may be cases where you know where I deal with terrible things to find humor or I, I use humor to to deal with terrible things that happen but I think there is something I think there is something incredibly beautiful of you know when I think back to a perfect example it was during a music festival it had absolutely started hailing everyone was hiding in this tunnel it felt like, like you know everybody's cold everybody's soaked now and uh one of my buddies is off just kind of dancing in the corner and uh you know, I look at somebody that I've never seen before that I'm probably never going to see again. And we're both in this terrible situation. And uh, I turn and I say, okay, look, I know everything about this is terrible, but like, and I point over at him, I'm like, he is killing that pirouette. And there's, there's laughter that comes from that because it's just, it's the idea that yes, things can suck, but there is, it's exactly that, you know, it's going to end, you know, it's coming to a close at some point. And so you might as well, frankly, fully experience it for what it's worth at that point in time. It's the idea that emotion emotional range goes left and right it's it exists in all in all sides and i think there is some beauty to that enthusiasm that you can have that you might as well enjoy this and live it for whatever it is and feel every emotion that's there because the harder that you can 
can feel the worst ones, the better that you can feel the, the positive ones. And it's the idea that, you know, you want to feel as many of those emotions as you can. I remember um, to kind of connect off the idea, one of, one of my good buddies, Jay, said something along the lines of when I asked him, you know, after, after I, I had left a, a very, a very abusive relationship, I kind of said to him at one point, I don't know what to do. And he said, the simplest way I can put it is you are looking for peace and you are looking for contentment. And I noticed he didn't say the word happiness. And it took me a long time to understand why he was saying that because it's fleeting. It's never something that's always going to exist. It is, it's, it's exactly like you say, it's chronic happiness. It's going to come and it's going to go. But I think when you look for peace and contentment, you understand that you can still have contentment and be in a bad situation because you know that bad situation is eventually going to end because you know there is a way out. And the question I have for you following that is, so do you think that talking about the intuition that you have and talking about this intuition that you've leaned into, do you find that you've decided to lean more trusting into that intuition as you've gotten older? Or do you think how have the parameters changed around how you see that intuition from you know, when you were in your teens to, to now? Mm. I think I had the intuition there, but I just ignored it. So mm -hmm. the way that I construct or I have it as a framework is that we have our, we have our human being or our conscious being, mm -hmm. then our animal being, our subconscious being, and then our higher being or intuitive being, being our unconscious being. When you talk about uh, animal being, are you talking about like lizard brain, that sort of idea? Pretty much. Yeah. So okay. if you think of like, if you think of how the brain works, so the frontal cortex is what separates us from most animals. And mm -hmm. that's where we come up with our decision-making, uh, our frontal cortex, <laughs> which is really funny. Our frontal cortex is responsible for our decision-making and our logic, but people allow that part of their brain to atrophy because they don't use it often enough. And, uh, and so their animal brain takes over, sort of the animal being, and I consider that the heart as well. So there's like the conscious, whereas like my, it could be my, like the only difference between you and I is the the thoughts that we have and the being that we are. We're still made of the same material. Yeah. Right. It's just our consciousness that's different, which I think is the beautiful thing that separates all human beings. Because if you look at all animals, they all have the same basic outline. Humans have independent thought. And that's where we can have creativity. Animal being is the body. The body speaks to us. The body is something that understands like fight, flight, flee, fornicate, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and fawn. And, and so then we go into the intuitive being, the unconscious being, or the higher being. And in my mind, that would be the best version of me speaking to me from a sense of looking through all my own bullshit or my BS, my belief systems that I've adopted either consciously or unconsciously that I either use to prevent or perpetuate progress. And by not allowing belief systems or the stories to rule my life. So I can't do this because of X that X is, due to an experience that I had in elementary school. So one example that I would think of is uh, I'm not able, okay, I'll go with this one. I'm not able to be good at math because I think this is a common one and this is true too. I'm not able to be good at math because when I was in elementary school, 
I was in all the special ed classes for math. However, and then as like a earlier adult, I was like, oh, well, I couldn't, I can't do that because there's math involved and I'm not good at math. But at the same time, if I'm basing my present day skill set off of my skill set as a child, that's freaking ridiculous. I'm a completely different human being. So I had to remove that story either, and I, I change it into either eliminate it, transmutate it, or manifest the whole story altogether. So that way I change the story of my thinking so that I can strengthen the thoughts that I want to have and atrophy the thoughts that prevent me from progressing. So now I understand that I know where my, I know how I can learn math and I know the strengths that I could have. And that is what helps me go into uh, something else. But anyways, so removing those stories and as many of those stories as possible and try and aiming and I'm purposefully aiming for transcending my sense of being so I can self-actualize the best version of myself. So that's like a purposeful activity that I'm doing. And I find it to be difficult if belief systems either created by myself or adopted from others or whatever. Yeah. Adopted by others. Like, I've, you can experience things that quote unquote are bad on paper. However, why would I want to allow those to negatively impact the possibility of progress? What's more important, holding on to those stories or progression? Progression is more important for me. So remove the stories and then listen to my body, take care of the body, be able to articulate my thoughts, debate my thoughts be able to breathe into my body low and slow, not high and tight so that I can understand what my body's trying to say. And when the head and the heart are in alignment, it makes way for the intuition to make, make its, make its way there. And the intuition that is our earliest part of development. That is our, like, you know, our solar plexus, solar plexus, our mm -hmm. solar plexus is the first brain. That's why people say the brain or the gut is people say it's the second brain, but I consider it the third brain. And if we're going in chronological order of which brains develop first, it goes the gut, then it goes the heart, then it goes the brain. So we think it's this part's the most important, but I would actually flip it the other way around and try to remove as many of those, uh, as many of those non-functioning opinions as possible in order to allow that intuition to pull. And this is another thing too is that that intuition we that's that's like the knowing that is within our knowing that is our deepest desires of what we want to accomplish or what we want to do in life or even it is our intuitive compass that'll utilize anxiety as that compass so if we are behaving in misalignment to what we truly want to accomplish then we're going to experience anxiety yep right there's also the form of anxiety where it's the anticipation of future pain. That's only stories. Change the stories, you remove the anxiety. Right? And then it's just recalibrating, recalibrating. So I would say that that intuitive pull was there and I can recall experiencing it. But just like everybody else, because this is something that we're conditioned, we're domesticated into 
ignoring our intuition and just going along with what everyone else tells us to do. And it's not until we choose to adopt our own sense of self that we are able to listen to that intuition, listen to our heart, and consciously debate ourselves in the head so that we can create space in order to flow with the rest of life. Well, it's, it's even um, when we talk about the, the gut, one of some of the some of my favorite facts surrounding this are when we talk about that gut feeling and we're talking about in, in a specific situation, it's the idea that, you know, when you have a gut feeling about somebody and, you know, one of, one of the examples that I can think of is when I was recently traveling, I was I was on an island off of Australia and I remember meeting this guy and I just remember, um, you know, his name was Ricky. And I remember meeting him and I just had the worst feeling about him. And I, I didn't know why, but I just, you know, I, I said to the, I said to a couple of people that I was with, like, look, I don't need to spend time around this guy. I've learned long enough over time. And this is where we talk about leaning into that intuition. I've learned long enough over time that I need to trust this feeling because there's something here that I'm not seeing. And when we talk even about uh, a personal safety aspect, when we talk about those gut feelings, your subconscious has noticed something that your conscious brain is not yet aware of. And the only way I can communicate that is exactly what you're talking about, that anxiety. It's that feeling of panic of, look, I can't tell you what's wrong because I can't communicate. And I don't communicate in that way. But I can tell you that there is something wrong and you need to get out of here. And it's, you know, one of my favorite questions is when somebody walks up to you, statistically, what is the first thing you look at? And people will say, oh, I look at the face. I look at the arms or something. No, you actually look at the hands. And that's an evolutionary perspective because you are checking if back, you know, a thousand years ago, a million years ago, you're checking if they have a weapon in their hands and you do it so subconsciously that you're unaware that you're actually doing it. But they have studied this plenty of times and it is the hand that you look at. You're looking first to see if they've got any weapons because then that's the first line of defense of is this a safe person at this point in time? And yep. then then you continue on to emotional safety and, and what have you. But it's it's that idea that I found as we develop that sense of self and as that comes forward, <clears throat> And I think as you start to look more for flow state or just things that you do that feel they are work, but they feel effortless. Like my approach to training and the reason that I've been in the gym as long as I have is because there is a meditative state that I enter when I do it, where it's just, it's, it's honest, good, hard work. And I like to push, but I just like to get better. It's that idea of being in something that you know that you're good at. And on some level, you know that you were kind of always meant to do. And it's just, it's that piece of finding that flow where time just passes effortlessly and you're here. And it's not always going to feel like that, but I think leaning more, leaning more into those things that you find really give you that state or that satisfaction or just that piece of, it's a little bit inexplicable, but it's, it's why over time, I think as I look backwards, and even again, when we talk about the idea of your past experiences versus your current decisions, I think seeing those past experiences and seeing all those times that I leaned into and just tried the things that I really wanted to and saw positive results or even neutral results at that point. It encourages me to make that decision easier to lean into the things that give me that same pull now where it's okay, this is pulling me in a direction and you almost just start, you stop questioning it. It's just, you know what, this is, this is the subconscious telling me like, we gotta, we gotta do this. I'm not going to tell you why, but you, you need to do it. And it's, it's a beautiful thing, I think, when you get to when you figure that out, because it, you do feel like you're so much more in alignment with the person you were always supposed to be. Totally. And another thing as well is kind of interesting, too, is with that misalignment anxiety that I was talking about, 
uh, and I call it like uh, the intuitive compass. And I think, mm -hmm. I think the thing that's interesting and I separate, I separate the different types because there's a whole bunch, there's, there's a continuum of everything. There's only, there's very few things that have uh, this or that. Like for example, there is the microverse and then there's the macroverse. There is life and there is death. There is light and then there is dark. Um, outside of that, there's so many things that have a, a continuum. And I, and I think folks with that, with a, with that anxious part where they may feel anxious from the external world, like what you're talking about with that, the fellow with Ricky sounds like a Ricky thing to do, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, that fella was giving you like not good vibes. Mm -hmm. I think something that's important is to be able to differentiate between the intuition between, is this an external, is this, is this feeling inspired by the external world or is it actually inspired by the internal world? And I think more people are likely to disregard the internal world because that would increase or that would mean that there is responsibility on behalf of the individual to change. And people are resistant to that, even though they may intuitively know that they should be or could be removed, should could be progressing forward but they have those blinders on, you know? Well, and it's, it's the idea that um, when we talk about ego, like, and if you, if you put this in the perspective surrounding fitness, I think there's the idea that I've been kind of fleshing out for the last little while of, okay, if, you know, cause I, I, I have always had the idea that fitness is relatively simple, you know, move in a way that you actually like become really, really good at moving in that way, you know, adopt strength training in other areas as needed drink your water, eat whole nutritious foods and get some sleep. And that's, you know, if you can cover four of those things, you're realistically covering, covering 75 to 80%, even more of what it is. And I think that people tend to overcomplicate it with the idea that it has to be overcomplicated because that's the only way I can explain why I haven't been good at it or why I haven't been able to be consistent. And otherwise, it's the smartest thing that I think anyone can do is develop the ability to step aside of their ego. And exactly like you were saying earlier, ditch the idea that there's anything, that there's anything wrong with being wrong, but there, there's any idea with getting rid of some piece of the person you've previously tied yourself down to. Because realistically, I look at it, and even for myself, I know, I knew, I know at least for myself, it was definitely ego. Because, you know, when I was younger and I saw guys like, you know, Jay Cutler, um, Ronnie Coleman, all these like classic bodybuilders that got huge. Now, now we understand the reasoning back then it was a little bit more of a, of a secret, but when we talk about those things, I would see things that they were doing and think that they had access to information. I didn't have access to resources that I didn't have. And realistically, you take anybody that's really, really fit, remove steroids, remove any of that. They are probably incredibly consistent at the things that they do, but the very, very basic shit that they do. And I think when you look at that, you have to step aside of the ego because for me, it was, do I just feel kind of stupid that it was always this simple and I didn't want to look at myself to understand the pieces that were stopping me from being that consistent because then I had to step aside of the ego and I had to say, no, it actually is that simple. And you have to look at the fact that, you know, for example, if we talk about one of my own issues, it's the fact that you put yourself on such a low peg in terms of the self-care aspect and you're putting everyone else above yourself. 
that if you had the option to feed everyone else before yourself, you would do it. But that's not going to put you in the in the position that you want to be in the fitness world. And so it's constantly that idea of it really is that simple, but you have to step aside of the ego. And tracing back to what to what you were just saying, it's that idea that at any given point, you have to be choosing progression regardless of what it looks like. You have to be choosing the idea to lean into the person that you are regardless of what that actually looks like or what that experimentation process may look like. There are plenty of times, and I mean plenty of times, that I have looked like a complete idiot to the outside world. You know, I think about even this past Halloween, like I love dressing up. I love adopting characters. I love getting to fit into their mindset. I think it's the funnest thing. And I think it creates my ability to, the more that I see those other characters, the more that I see pieces of them that I adopt, that I take into this main character here. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, when I, when I think about that, it's that, it's that ability to dive into it. And my costume was absolutely terrifying. Like I had the contact lenses, I had the dyed hair, I had the creepy smile, I had absolutely everything. And it looked weird. It seemed weird to people that I would put that much effort into it. But the satisfaction that I get from doing something like that is only because I could step aside from the ego and say like, you need a lot less noise to understand the person that you want to be you need a lot less influence from, from everyone else. And one of the toughest lessons that I had to learn around making decisions, especially as like a young, anxious man. I mean, in my early 20s, probably like from the start until I was 27, that was when things started to get better and I started to be able to deal with a lot of that anxiety. But I spent so much time checking in with other people, finding out what they thought. What do you think that I should do in this scenario? When that was the last thing that I needed, I did not need more information. I needed to step into myself confidently step outside of the ego with the idea that I could get it wrong and decide to pick a fucking route and just see what happens. And I think realistically, you know, one of my favorite uh, kind of tongue in cheek ways to deal with imposter syndrome is the idea that, look, man, let's say, let's say all of us are wrong. Let's say this is the matrix and let's say this is all a simulation and everybody's faking it. And this is of course like an extreme perspective, but let's say all of that is true. And you got thrown into this and you really realize that everyone is faking it and everyone is playing the role that they think that they should, hoping that no one else figures it out. You might as well, if you're running a simulation, play the game, treat it like a game, play it really well, play it like it's an RPG or, you know, a, a real world game. And what do you think this character should do next? What would make the most sense if there was no risk because it is a game? And when you do things like that, I find that you just, you get to have a lot more fun with it. But you also step into the idea that there's almost no bad decisions. There's just different decisions. There's just a different timeline that gets created. And maybe you were always meant to make that decision. And maybe maybe it was always meant to be not a great one. Or maybe it was meant to be one that was going to be terrible in the immediate, but inspire some incredible self-growth afterwards. Who the hell knows? But it's the idea that you, you're you never going to know and you're never going to have 100% decisions. You're never going to know what the what the aspect is going to look like. And if you sit there questioning if it's the right idea because you don't know the end, that's probably more or less just that anxiety of not being able to tell people, this is what I'm going to do and this is exactly where it's going to finish up. I'm going to do this thing. I have no idea where it's going to go. And hopefully it's somewhere positive, but we're going to learn something from it anyway. I think that's legit, dude. I like uh, the acronym for ego being easing greatness out. Mm -hmm. I like that one big time. I think uh, some, I, I definitely, it's actually funny when, cause I, I think of there's in my mind, it seems like it's, I definitely play, play this world. Like it is a game. 
And <clears throat> Skyrim was my go-to RPG. And I realized, wow, if I actually put as much time in my actual life as I do in Skyrim, I'd probably have a lot of the same cool shit, but just within this game, right? And uh, and I think of that as well as like, this is a character design. Like you are a character, I am a character. And there's glitches and then there's bots. There's NPCs and then there's main characters. And we are domesticated into that same kind of like flow just because just because that's like consistent like we don't know what we don't know right but there's people that are willing to have that openness to venture into what could be then at least like you were saying it doesn't make it a bad decision it actually makes it so that you have a much more informed decision the next time you get the chance to make it so there's no good decisions or bad decisions and there is no good timelines or bad timelines it is how the information is used for the future decision and i think the only it's kind of it's kind of funny because i think having the discernment to understand when it is appropriate to say yes and when to say no is very important because we can have we can say no to others in order to preserve our boundaries but we can also say no in general to which will prevent an option of adventure. We can say yes to everyone and have no boundaries and have no development of ourselves. And we can also say yes to a new possibility and a new timeline. And I think having that having that discernment of what is a yes and what is a no in order to go through, go through that ego and saying, no, I don't want to listen to that ego. It's like, bring it to the side, just keep on going. Because I think if we think of the ego as another character, I actually put it as another character. I look at the ego as the inner rival. And my inner rival is the one that wants me to stay stagnant, to stay comfy, to stay still, to uh, perk it, put itself up on a pedestal and put me down so that I don't have the opportunity or the ability to be able to progress forward in towards what I would call my inner role model. Because my role model is someone that I can aspire to be within the future because I have my future self that I can envision. Uh, I forgot where I was going to go with that one because I had a thought that just like popped up and it was like, oh, uh, oh it's one of, okay. one of those moments when you're like, oh, this is going to, oh, damn it. Yeah, I think... Yeah. Um, I think when we talk about the idea of, of stepping aside of that ego, there's, there's a big difficulty. And I think that this, the difficulty of the idea that you need people to come along with you, whether that be physically or verbally, where it's, you know, especially when you're in, I think when you're in, you know, K to 12 school, what have you, when you're in university, you, you don't want to do things that are outside of the norm because it, there's fear of ridicule, but there's also just, fear of that anxiety that sits in you, even if it's the right choice, it doesn't feel like the right choice. And, um, you know, I, I, I ran a tutoring company for about 10 years. And one of the best lessons I learned is that especially, and I would tell this to middle school students all the time. I was like, look, guys, you are in a place where everyone is as anxious as you are. If you don't think that's true, sit them down on their own. And if you can break down that wall of that ego, they will tell you that they are. And maybe they don't even know. But you have so many kids that are walking in there anxious and I don't care what it is, what it is that they have, who it is that they are, they are pointing at someone else 
calling them out for something because they don't want anybody to see them. If I'm pointing at you hard enough and I'm loud enough, you don't have time to look at me. And I think it's that idea of whether that be a trip, whether that be some big career step, whether that just be something you want to experience. I think that you have to go through this period of it's going to feel a little bit lonely. But when you start to stack up those successes of I'm doing something and they're just they're, there's just sort of that deep satisfaction of this is where I was meant to be. It's it can be a fleeting, a fleeting feeling, but as soon as you feel it a couple of times, you start to chase that idea of just that peace and that calmness around. It's kind of like the higher self like you're talking about. Because I remember when you and I did that breathwork exercise. I will never forget this as long as I live because you told me initially, you know, write a letter from you to your future self, to that higher self. And then, you know, a few minutes later, you told me to write a letter from my higher self down back to my future, back to my current self. And I will never forget the vision that came to mind is I was in a busy coffee shop in like Central Park and, or not in Central Park, in, um, in one of the busier areas of New York. And it was this guy wearing pretty much an all black suit, like really nice, but just solid black. And he was confident and, you know, just sure of himself. And he's standing, you know, he's standing drinking up a cup of coffee. And I remember the question he asked me is, why are you so afraid of me? And it's this idea that I have always known who it was that I was supposed to be. And I always knew what that feeling was because that feeling is the embodiment of that guy standing there, just slowly nodding to himself. Like, yep, no, you're on, you're on the right path. This is, this is the right thing. And, you know, he's finally, he's finally slowly telling me, like, you were always going to get here. But I didn't know how long it was going to take. And I was just waiting until the time that you did. But it's the idea that when you feel that feeling a couple of times, the first couple of times are really scary because it is quite lonely to be doing something different. And, you know, I had to start encountering that feeling when I was 11 or 12 when I realized what my emotional range actually looked like. And I had to realize that I was going to have to lean into those emotions because trying to slam them down felt like I was just creating a cardboard cutout of myself. But as I leaned more into that, and I think as you see more of that, and as you try more things to find what's going to give you that sense of peace, it starts to become a lot easier to go at these things alone. And you, you find your tribe that way. You find the people that are supposed to be in that sphere with you, whether that's for an extended period of time or just for a fleeting moment. But you find people that want to go along that path anyways, by going down that path first. It's the idea that people somehow suddenly appear out of the forest that we're always supposed to be there and they're going to exit back into the forest eventually, but for now they're with you. And it's, you have to get comfortable with that, with that discomfort. And as you do it a few times, it becomes a lot easier to do it. Absolutely. I, I like something that Alex Hermosi says when it comes to like, well, a lot of things, what he says, what he says, but taking along with what you're talking about, about having that loneliness, mm -hmm. <clears throat> Uh, folks will be in your life for a reason, a season or a lifetime. And I think being able to, once again, the discernment, being able to differentiate between what is good, what is good for you compared to not, but having that discernment and having that acceptance, I think that, yeah, I think that having that acceptance of, okay, this person was in my life for a season. This person was in my life for a reason. And this person's in my life for a lifetime and having those principles of, okay, this is the qualities of each. And in between, in between each of those segments, there is that time of loneliness, quote unquote, loneliness. 
I don't consider it loneliness if there is a monk-like mentality towards it where it's not loneliness because loneliness is only if you're attached to something. If you're detached from something, then it does not own you. If you own yourself, then you'll never feel lonely. And being able to develop and foster that inner internal relationship with the self creates an internal environment where you are the warrior in the garden. You are Miyamoto Masashi writing the book of five rings while sitting in a cave in a waterfall. That is what I envision when I think of internal tranquility, where it is a harmonious hustle of being able to have that loneliness because if we're feeling lonely or if we're dependent on others to fulfill or to fill our cup or our heart cup, then we're always going to be at the whims of the external world, which if our expectations are not met, then we are going to feel those negative feels. But if the expectations that we set for ourselves are set, yeah, are set by ourselves, and we uphold the standards and those principles, then we no longer have to be concerned about loneliness because we find peace within ourselves and camaraderie and collaboration. Mm, that was a neat little tangent there. Uh, there's um, there's a piece that Chris Williamson talks about, and I, I know you had just seen him, so it's going to be fresh in your brain. But he, I think he actually pulled this quote from Alex Ramosi, but it's the idea that. Uh, build an undeniable stack of evidence that you are who you say you are. And I think about that a lot of different times when, you know, even, even when we talk about this idea of, of leaning into the self, if you, if you want to go out, you know, for a night, this is a super small example, but if you want to go out for a night drinking and you're kind of stepping into that phase where you decide you want to stop doing that. And there's just that feeling, that fleeting moment of, uh, we got to do this again. That's, I think that's the message from your higher self saying, you don't want to, you don't want to be there. You're going there because of expectation, but there's a piece of you that doesn't really want to be there. And I think when you start leaning into the things that you like and the things that allow you to access that higher self, I think that the devil really is in the details. And what I mean by that is that when I think about, you know, I have these ideas of how it is that I figured out who I was, how it, how it is that I developed my own sense of self. And it ended up being a lot of solo nights in a coffee shop with a really with just a, a nice sweet coffee and when we talk about how simple that is we look at the details there was enough there was enough white noise in the background that i just felt i felt like i was in the kind of space that i wanted to be in because anytime that i watched movies and i liked its detail it was always a character sitting in a busy coffee shop it was always that the, the there were all those stories all those life stories sitting around you that you didn't know but you could know at any point in time there was there was wonderment in that and there was, you know, I had certain coffees that I'd like. I'd wear like a warm, cozy sweater, but I paid attention to the details and I decided and tried out the things to see what I liked. You know, I might try black coffee. I might try a latte. I might try all these things. And these seem like small things, but when you align them all together and when you can put them together and sort of manufacture the perfect environment, there's this sense of peace that gives you access to that higher self of, okay, let's take a look at things. Like, it's almost like when you pay attention to those details, I now get to sit down and have a conversation in a busy coffee shop with my higher self. And I get to ask him what it is that he thinks I'm supposed to be doing. And because I'm so comfortable and because I'm so in alignment with all these perfect things, the noise is so much lesser. 
So now I get to ask that question and I get to wait and see what comes back. And I think it's even when we talk about, because um, there, there's the adage that people who have, have sustained heavy trauma or repeated trauma or anything like that, they tend to gear towards uh, endurance sports. And there's, you know, relations between anxiety and lifting heavy weights because, you know, it, it shuts down the brain because it does put it into a fight or flight state or things, things of that nature. But I think all those things are doing is they put you in a state where you have to confront yourself. And when you reduce all the noise, whether that be by comfort or by suffering, you reduce everything else, you put yourself in this, in this clear, clear state, things become a lot easier. They become a lot, a lot simpler. And I think it's when you step out of that state, when you step back into regular life, now you have all this noise back. Now you start to question it. And I think the difficult piece, I think the, the piece of personal growth that really comes into play is how hard can you look at that and just say, that is. Like that is what is, it doesn't need to be questioned. That is what's going to happen. And it might be, it, it might be as simple as just an idea of, I should try this, or there's that peak of interest at something. And it doesn't matter what it is, but it's the ability that you, I think when we talk about, you know, what makes a person a person and what matters, I think I've always held myself to the standard that my word is gold. And so if I say that I'm going to do something, I have to do it. But that can't just be for everyone else. That has to be for me too, for myself, because I need to develop that trust that when I tell myself I'm going to do something, I'm going to drag my dumb ass kicking and screaming all the way through to do it. And it's, you know, it, it's funny when I think about when I think about doing that, doing comedy, doing improv, the, these things that I've tried, they've all they've all made me anxious. They've all made me sweaty in the pits and a little bit nervous and kind of stammering around. But at no point was I going to let myself not do it. At no point was I, because I would like the person who stopped doing that and held themselves back less than I'd like the anxious kid that's walking into that scenario. I know when he comes out of that, we at least made a deal with ourselves that I was going to do this thing. And it does not matter how it goes because we said we're going to do it and we actually did it. And, you know, to tack onto that, I think one of the funniest pieces um, that you'll appreciate is I think when you really start paying attention to the world, you realize how much people are not paying attention to you. They, they do not, you are a fleeting momentary thought in anyone else's day, regardless of what you do. Like you could do something extreme. You could smash a four gallon of milk in the middle of Superstore. And beyond, beyond the guy who's going to be cleaning that up for 20 minutes, who's going to be thinking about you and cursing you for quite a bit, the person who saw you do that from the meat aisle has thought about you for maybe the next five seconds. And then they're back into what kind of crackers do I want to pick up today? And when you start to even ask yourself in those moments, when weird things happen, how much am I thinking about that? It's almost like, uh, like you put a bookmark in it and then 20 minutes later you remember it and you're like, oh yeah, I haven't thought about that guy for the past 20 minutes. You know, he vomited all over the, the cracker aisle in Safeway, but I'm not thinking about it anymore. And when you apply that on mass, you realize that people don't really give a shit what you're doing or saying half the time, any of the time. You're just, they're just, they're so focused on their own world. Your world doesn't matter. Totally. Yeah, I think I think that's actually pretty funny because it's about thirty seconds afterwards, and no one, no one even bats an eye. It's like it's so interesting. It's it's the, it's how much an individual cares about how they look to other people's perception that nobody cares about. It's very few and far between people that are going to, uh, you know what? Actually, think kind of think of it like. To an extreme example, uh, 
three three decades three decades after you kick the bucket, you're not going to be remembered, right? And if that's the case with like my great great grandfather, I've never met. My great, great, great grandfather, I for sure never met. And I don't even know either of their names. I know my grandfather's names, Mm -hmm. but I don't know their name, like past that. And so I think it's safe to assume, like what you were saying, that if you drop the milk or if you do something silly and unless you have a temper, like in the, in the movie Carrie, where like you have something happen to you, where you have like blood poured all over you and then that's a different scenario totally and then you can obliterate like the whole school with your psychic powers it's very unlikely that people are going to remember uh (laughs) remember any of us in the long run if we give ourselves if we give ourselves a long enough time horizon people are going to forget uh the our mistakes quote-unquote mistakes but they're also going to forget the things that we've done in general, like the good things or the bad things, I suppose, quote unquote, I think it's good or it's bad. The idea I've applied this to dating and there's, there's two points that I want to make here. The first one being that when you spend a lot of time constructing yourself for other people and constructing your life and doing these things with anticipation of how someone else that you may or may not even know is going to feel, you are effectively, you're working your ass off on a painting that no one's ever going to see because no one cares. But you know, on, on top of that, um, I think I think a lot of the difficulty ends up coming around with the idea that just no one really does care. And there's there's a piece in realizing how small in this world you actually are. And you can you can know that and you can take it one of two ways. You can look at it in terms of I in the grand scheme of the entire age of the earth, anything like that, I am less than a blip on the radar. My, my entire life, my entire, you know, if I make it there 80 or 90 years is going to be just, just a momentary span in time. Nobody's going to remember me. And even if I did something incredible, even if I did something amazing, the collection of people that are remembered exactly like you say, three generations past are so few and far between. And some of them are not remembered for good reasons. And so you can know that and you can know that even if you did everything, it's not really going to matter. And you can look at that as hopeless, or you can look at that as freeing. And you can look at it in the idea of, if no one's going to remember what I do, and I'm the only one who's on this ride, I got to make it a good fucking ride, man. I got I to gotta look at it in terms of doing everything that has ever interested me, and every element that allows me to lean into that person more, because every time I've been given the opportunity to live in that higher self, even for a brief moment, it's you chase it. You you want to be there because it, there's a sense of comfort that comes along with knowing who you are. There's there's a sense of peace in that reality of you know when I when I think about um, when I think about those traumatic times that I've left. There was uh, there was a message that I that I remember sending, where to paraphrase it said, "I know who I am, and I know what I'm about, and I know the way I treat the people around me." And when you know those three things through and through, when you decide that you are not going to let someone else's, someone else's actions influence the person you show up in the world as, um, there's, uh, there's a piece that I'm, there's a concept that, I'm, that I like to think of called the gentleman. And the gentleman is not shaken by the influence of others. Someone treating me poorly does not allow me to slack with myself 
to act like an asshole. I don't, I'm not going to return that energy to you because returning that energy for you lessens the person that I thought I was. And so I like that idea of being someone who's so unshakable in themselves that it, to a certain extent, it doesn't matter what you do. I don't really care. What you do does not influence how it is that I choose to show up. Absolutely. There's actually a, a story I'll share with you. I think maybe you heard it before, but there was a, uh, there was a monk that was going from town to town and he was just kind of sharing his principles and his philosophies and people could listen or not. It was up to them. And he went to this one town. There's this one uh, fella. There was this resident of the town who stood up from the crowd that was sitting down listening to this monk and said, you don't know shit. Paraphrasing. I'm not sure if he said this, but he said, you don't know shit. You're telling people how to live. You're saying this. And he was ticked off. He was very upset. He was very pissed off. He, he was scolding this monk for sharing the wisdom that he has acquired from his experience. And the monk was calm and composed and he asked the man if you were to give someone a gift and they were to decline it who's the owner of the gift and the angered man said well i am the monk said that is how i treat your anger you may offer me your anger, but I don't have to accept it. So you are the one that's left with the anger. And I think of that with what you're saying with the, uh, the gentleman, where I think that having the skill, and I think of it as a skill, to maintain a steady mind and a composed demeanor allows an individual to break through the that noise i think that when we are when we are that calmness when we practice that skill it sharpens the blade and we become the blade that goes through the emotion the emotion does not affect us it's not taking it in within ourselves we are allowing it to bounce off and showing up as the person that we wish to be rather than meeting the other person to that same level, to their level. And I would say down to their level, because when someone can hold that composure, behavior, it's not what we say that is an indicator of character. It is what we do and how we behave. And if we are behaving in a way that is calm, composed, level-headed, even if we are absolutely livid on the inside, it's irrelevant because we can still behave in a way that we can respect within ourselves. And I think that being able to, I think that's having that kind of a common, common denominator theme that we got going along with this conversation is that character creation, that uh, identifying the principles and the uh, skills or the demeanor or the persona that you want to embody and take on that you can recognize in others. Because this is a cool thing too, is the things that we both admire and resent 
in other people are the things that we both admire and resent within ourselves. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to recognize those things in other people if we didn't have it ourselves. So if, yeah, if I'm flustered about something, I'm not going to lash out at someone. I'm going to actually turn it inwards because if we're pointing a finger, there's three fingers pointing back. So how is it that I'm actually that, how, at what point in time have I exhibited similar behaviors? Oh, yeah. Okay. I remember this one time where it was this, this, and this. Characteristics I admire. Oh, when was the last time I recognized this? Oh, it was when me and Josh were like chatting on this podcast and we were just like dialed in and flow state and we were just da, 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 da. So both admirable and resentful, we can recognize in others, which means we can put the mirror up in front of ourselves and actually really deep dive into that character. And ah, I think, I think when people have that, well, they're not taking neuroscience into, into, into consideration where we can actually change the wiring of our mind and we can atrophy, like I was saying earlier, we can atrophy those, those parts that we can weaken, we can weaken the aspects of ourselves that we resent and we can strengthen the aspects of our cells that we can admire, we can develop awareness around those, and then we can adjust them accordingly because we feel as we behave, our habits are an indicator of our feels. Our habits are going to be an indicator of what we're going to feel later on as well. Yeah. I think that, I think that's a, this is a fun, this is a fun bunch of conversations going on actually. I really like I think there's um yeah. one one thing I want to I want to mention before before I lose this train of thought is um I remember in, in some of the in some of the worst times in my life and in, in some of the ways in, when people have treated me um you know as as terribly as as in some ways I think a human can be treated sometimes and I mean I I want to acknowledge that I've lived a very privileged privileged life um but I always remember having this resolve and it was I've said it to myself in a lot of different moods, but it's the phrase, you don't get to break me. And it's the idea that it's just that idea of, I think when you, I think when you develop self-awareness, the goal is always, if there ever can be a goal, the goal is to be able to view your emotions like passing ships. You see them and you recognize them. And I think in, when you start to, when you start to head down that path, you get curious about them. And it's exactly that where it's, I see an emotional outburst from somebody. Why does that bother me to see it? Because I've had my emotional outbursts and I feel like I should have a more emotional control than that. And maybe, excuse me, maybe in this moment, I actually do. But realistically, maybe I'm, maybe I'm reflecting back, like you said, on a moment where I didn't. But it's the idea that you don't get to break the person that I'm going to choose to be because I have to go home with that person at the end of the day. I have to climb into bed with that person it's, it's the phrase, you are who you are in the dark. And if I allow myself to sink down to your level, that's what it's going to result in is late at night when I'm lying in bed by myself and the lights are off, my higher self is going to be at, is going to be looking at me and saying, we could have done better. And it's not said in a judgy way. It's not said in a way of you should have done better. It's just, it's this highlight of, you know, where you can be. And I think when you get to a certain point, you start to almost anticipate and look for challenges of that. And there's a way that that can be done very dangerously when you're looking for conflict. And maybe that's a, maybe that's coming from a place of a little bit less self-awareness. But I think for myself, when I look, I almost anticipate and choose 
situations that are going to drive my anxiety higher because I want to be able to wrestle with that beast. Because the more I wrestle with it, the more I develop that muscle surrounding controlling my anxiety and controlling just any sort of emotions that I'm going to have. But it's like, I think it's that feeling when your heart starts to race and you're about to head into something that you've never done before. And you start to almost enjoy the challenge of that. Like, all right, I get, I get to play this again and see how well I can do. And there's a certain piece that comes out of it afterwards where, you know, the higher self that we're talking about, I think he, you know, quick little fist bump. And it's like, hell yeah, man, you're, you're an inch or two closer to where, to where I want you to be, to being us. And I think there's, yeah, there's something, there's something really spectacular in that level of seeing it as seeing it as that challenge and seeing it as that ability. Absolutely. I, well, experiences are no different than working out at the gym. You have to stress test, you have to have progressive overload and, in order to develop the body, it's no different with the mind. We have to develop our minds through the stress test. And if people are avoiding stress, then we're not going to be able to grow and foster that internal garden. Well, and even, even on the aspect of, of weightlifting, it's, you know, I think about people say that the squat is the perfect example for life. Something takes you down that's heavy and you, and you got to stand back up, but and that's, that's not my phrasing, but I think there is an ability of, you know, let's say, let's say your squat max is 315. You can move 135 perfectly. You can move 225, probably pretty perfectly. Where are you at at 275? Where are you at in those higher thresholds? And how, how much, you know, when you talk about the aspect of programming, you do have to be careful about how many exposures you have to that upper limit. But it is that idea of how do you stand up when shit is really hard? not easy it's not we're not talking about you know having a nice interaction with the store clerk at the grocery store that you go to we're talking about having a nice interaction when you see you know um when you see like your abusive ex's best friend out in public when you see those people that you that you don't want to have a good interaction with who are you then because that's that's the person you actually are you're who you are in your worst moments because that's that's that animal brain that's that, that base level that's the person that that's the person that's hard to control it's not when you want, when it would be perfectly acceptable to choose anger and you choose to and you, you choose understanding in that moment that's the person you are and that's that's where we see that growth that's where we see the person that we want to be and it's you know i, I always um when when i relate it back to my full time job because my full time job is in sales and i've always told any of my colleagues that I might have to work with on projects. My goal is never, don't hide stuff from me. I can promise you, I'm never gonna yell at you. I'm never gonna get pissed off at you. We are gonna work towards this solution together because me yelling at you at any point in time, I don't like that person that I have to become in that moment. And I don't ever wanna have to become that person. And of course it's absolutely useless anyways. It doesn't, yelling drives shame, anger drives shame. Like there is a healthy release of anger, but it's not in that setting. But it is that piece of when, when you do stress test, that's when you really get to find out how far you've come. That's when you get to find, you get to find your areas of improvement and you also get to find the ways you can challenge yourself. And I think that there are, there are some elements of, okay, well, let's, you know, I suck in the top, again, we related to exercise. I suck, I suck in the top end of my squat. I'm going to do exercises that are going to put me there and I'm going to be able to stress test that portion. You know, for if we reflect it back to life, maybe I suck at public speaking. I'm going to choose moments 
even if they're uncomfortable, where I can choose to be better at that. And I'm going to remove the ego and forget about the idea that this, that this might be embarrassing because I'm lining up by someone else's idea of who I'm supposed to be. And I'm also doing something that probably most other people aren't even going to try. Someone who's going to judge you for something that you're trying to do and you fail at or you might not be good at is a reflection more so of how it is that they see themselves and how it is that they should they see they should show up. Because that could very likely be a person who would never step into the space that you are and never even attempt it. It's, you know, a, a funny example I can think of is like, I'm staring at it right now. I got a big ass box of Hot Wheels sitting on my shelf. And like, I slowly started recollecting these as an adult. And I remember I ordered one to the office and it was like probably 40 bucks because it was a special edition one. And, uh, you know, someone says to me like, oh, you're used to playing with Hot Wheels. Like, that's cute. And I'm like, man, you don't have anything from your childhood you still want to play with? Like, that sucks. Being like being a kid is fun. Playing with Hot Wheels is fun. And I really enjoy it. And I think it's it's a combination of that's their own judgment on themselves. That's them feeling like they don't get a chance to be a kid anymore. Absolutely. Man. Well, with, with, uh, with that awesome little final little tangent there, uh, I got two final questions that I want to ask you. Of course. First one for context, you're on your deathbed. It's the end of your life. Nothing of yours exists. No books, no content, no podcasts. What piece of advice do you want to pass on? The ability to stress test yourself and the choosing of walking into hard things and seeing where you falter and seeing where you can be, can be better is the true test of who you are. The, the person you are in your worst moments is the person you are. And how you treat everyone else around you is a reflection of how it is that you feel about yourself. Very nice. Uh, and this one real, this is a good one. Cause this one ties into what you were talking about earlier about the fellow in the slick black suit. The oh, yeah. very best version of you is sitting next to you right now. What piece of advice does he have for this season of your life? You know, I've had a lot of opportunities in the past, um, in the past few months to choose to lean into myself and choose to invest in myself and choose to walk through doors that I have absolutely no idea where they lead or what value they're going to hold. And the advice that he tells me in my season of life is find a pace that you can sustain and walk through every single door that seems to make sense. Just in the sense that when we talk about trusting that intuition, I know better than I ever have what that feels like and what those doors that I should be walking through look like and what things I should be saying yes to and what things I should be saying no to. And I think he, that guy looks at the things that I've done so far and looks at the ways that I'm choosing to grow. And it's just to keep fucking going. It's just keep putting in the work, keep putting boots on the ground and you're going to end up exactly where you were always supposed to be. Amazing. Well, that's what I got for you in today's episode. Where can people find you, Josh? Uh, you can find me at my Instagram. It's at Pure Grit Training. I'm on TikTok as well. And then at my website, uh, www.puregrittraining.ca. Beautiful. 
Folks, if you love today's episode, please do me a favor right now. Take a screenshot and share it on your Instagram stories and tag me with my handle at DapperDudeKyle, along with at Pure Grit Training. That is one of the ways that we grow. And until next time, keep up the kindness, and I hope your day treats you as good as you look.